Hello, hello. <clears throat> I'm live and this is going to be a pretty short one. So I don't know if anybody will actually get into the chat before I end it. Um, so I was um, asked a question. I, I was going to do a very short stream tonight. I'm quite tired. One of the kids has got belly ache. So um, the wife's taking care of that. But um, I think I'll turn in quite early today. So oh, already seven of you already. Hmm. Oh, the high priestess is here. LS16. Hello, hello. Nine. David Perkins, one of the most loyal henchmen. Slanty chauffeur bear. Oh, good. Okay, so Dilo basically asked a somewhat pertinent question in that she said, uh, I know you spoke about this a lot, but have you actually spoken to Anne Barnhart? And why do the uh, you know, why do so many people believe that Ratzinger is Pope, including Anne? There's actually a couple of answers to that. Um, there was an answer that was given a while ago by uh, Father Anthony Cecada, and uh, you can look at it on his YouTube stream, it's still up, although, uh, you know, Father Cecada passed away uh, not too long ago, I think it was a couple of months ago, or maybe less. And um, he was a brilliant theologian and a brilliant, uh, you know, he made some very good short videos. He had a good sense of humor. And he described those basically three reasons why a lot of so-called trads, and by trads I mean uh, fake Catholics that pretend to be traditional because they say they Latin Mass, but they say Latin Mass cum. That means Latin Mass that joins with the fake Pope therefore a complete satanic inversion of the whole thing um you know sspx sspv all these so-called traditionalists um, are just larping at being catholics and they're gatekeepers you know so more than anybody they know that they are um, talking absolute rubbish uh, father Chicada pointed out that there are three basic reasons one is um that what he called the recognize and resist brigade which of course makes no sense how can you recognize a pope as being pope but you're going to resist him that is the definition of a schismatic so if you recognize the pope as pope then you obey him end of um, and his reasons were you know in the beginning there was quite a bit of confusion possibly around the vatican too again this is all with giving a lot of charitable interpretation right because by the 1970s, I think it was very clear to anybody who cared uh, that Vatican II was completely heretical and the people that promoted it are therefore heretics and therefore not popes. Um, uh, thank you. You guys are complimenting me on the great interviews uh, and the guests. Um, I'm hoping to have a few more uh, guests uh, going after a real big fish. If, uh, <laughs> if he's interested, we'll find out. So... Um, getting back to the topic, one of the reasons was, well, when there was initially all this sort of somewhat confusion, um, you know, little people weren't sure, and so they were trying to find a way to sort of say, well, maybe we can interpret this Vatican II in the spirit of Vatican II in a, in a way that is not completely heretical. There's 
that's just one major problem with that. Um, even a catheticized layman, um, that, by catheticized layman, I mean somebody who is familiar with the Catholic rules, with the Catholic Church. This used to be the case for pretty much any Catholic, you know, up until not too long ago. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was one of them. When Vatican II stuff was introduced, he refused to uh, take on the, the, the you know, to, to do the new version of the Mass, and he spoke loudly in Latin and gave all the answers in Latin at every Mass. That was his very English way of, um, and actually, I would say old English way, as in he still had a pair of testicles attached, which, you know, most Englishmen unfortunately do not have now. Uh, the guy that's uh, uh, moved to Italy to, to be one of my loyal henchmen, he's English and he's got a, a set attached. I don't know which mutation he comes out of because, um, you know, he's quite young, but he's, he's definitely one of the old English type of guys. And so was J.R. Tolkien. And anybody, you know, that was just a catechized layman. But he knew what being a Catholic meant, and he knew that Vatican II was absolute heresy. Now, Vatican II, and I have gone through this in detail in my book, which I don't have lying around as usual. I have everybody else's book. But I... anyway, it's called Reclaiming the Catholic Church. Go on Amazon, buy it. If you, if you care about the details, they're all in there. There were 16 documents that were issued with Vatican II. 15 of them contain at least one or two or ten examples of direct heresy. That is, if you're a Catholic that knows what being a Catholic is, you would read those documents and you would immediately see that there are major, major 180-degree issues with it, as in they are the opposite of what the Church has preached for 2,000 years. The only document of the Vatican II documents that does not have direct heresy is Intermirifica. Intermirifica is a very short document that basically says we should promote all these documents of Vatican II as best we can with every technology available to us, including radio, television, and whatever comes next, i.e. they were already predicting something like the internet and so on. Uh, so in itself, it does not contain direct heresy. In context, it's clearly a demonic thing designed to spread the filth, the poison, and the disease that was Vatican II all over and throughout. I am, by the way, at the moment reading, started reading um, A Windswept House, which um, was a book by Malachi Martin. Um, Malachi Martin, who was a, an exorcist, and I've read his other book, which I've told you guys, I don't recommend people read it, not because it's not great, good book, excellent, but because I think if you're somewhat mentally weak, it may well open you up to some kind of um, supernatural attentions that you would rather not have. Um, it is probably one of the scariest books I've ever read in my life, more so because it's not really fiction. I mean, it's written as fiction, but uh, it's based on very real things. And unfortunately, I've had some experience with these things, so I recognize that what he was saying was factual. Windswept House is essentially his fiction of uh, what really happened in, in the Vatican and, and the usurpation of the church by the Freemasons. Now, going back to Father Chikada, and there is this video which is something like, why do traditionalists hate or are scared of Sedevacantists? Something like that. I can't remember the title. But anyway, Google Father Chikada 
traditionalists, something like that, you'll, you'll find it. And it basically gives three reasons. One is that there is a mythology that got created at the time of uh, the Vatican II debacle, let's say in the 60s and 70s, that was sort of like, well, we, we, can, we can maybe sort of find a way around what we think is heresy. Now, these are the mealy-mouthed meanderings of weak men. These are the actions of cowards. These are the actions of people who have their ass in butter and don't want to leave. These are the actions of people who are not honest. These are the actions of people who are weak, cowardly, greedy, thieving, deceitful, and stupid. And I'm being generous because that is assuming that they're not intentionally satanic affiliates of the Freemasons that infiltrated the church. Now, the fact that the Freemasons infiltrated the church and wanted to take it over is not in question. Again, in reclaiming the Catholic Church, I go through all of that. I go through the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, which was documents that were in the, you know, recorded from the 1800s that were captured by the church and were in the possessions of the popes that proved that the Carbonari were trying to infiltrate the church and destroy it from within. Now, these are documents that have been around for a couple of hundred years. They've been absolutely well documented. So, once again, um, you know, the reason I keep referring to my book is because that's why I wrote a 530-page book, so that you've got the details, so that I don't have to keep repeating myself. Now, I know that, you know, when I say, well, just get the book, people are like, oh, he's a grifter, he's just trying to sell us a book. No, dude, I, you know, I spent a long time writing that book exactly, so I don't have to keep repeating myself. Now, I don't mind the occasional, you know, quick rehash like I'm doing here, but if you want the details, read the book. You've got to put in the work, right? And remember, being a Catholic means working. It doesn't mean sitting on your ass and once saved, always saved. No, you don't know that you're saved at all when you become a Catholic. You hope to be. You're going to keep doing everything right. Then you should be. And if you're lucky, you'll get into purgatory, which is literally hell, except that eventually you'll get out of it and go to heaven. So Catholic outlook on life, not exactly rosy, right? But um, so... One of the reasons is this mythology that was created by these weak men that were like, well, maybe we can find a way around. The other one is that badly catechized laymen did not stand up for what was true, right, and correct, and just sort of wheedled away. And again, this was not too long after the Second World War, the beginning of the baby boomers. So it was sort of like, you know, the guys who had been through the Second World War were like, oh, let's just, uh, we've just been through two world wars do you really want to start another war with like the papacy and maybe we should just let these kids be kids? And again, weak men. Would a Jean Perizot Lavalette have kept quiet about this? No. Would a Bohemond have kept quiet about this? No. Would a Charlemagne have kept quiet about this? No. So once again, we can blame weak men for the fact that these mythologies were allowed to persist. And then once they persisted, some people start to identify with them, and then they identify with them, and, and, oh, well, you know, one of the most difficult psychological things to do for a human being is to change what they believe is their identity. Now, if you've been lying to me for 50 years, and I find out tomorrow that that is a lie, to me, personally, that's not a big deal. That's not a, I mean, it's a big deal that you lied and so on, of course, but it's not a big deal for me to make the adjustment. I have done that many times in my life. 
And I struggle to understand people who can't make that adjustment. I see it. I know it. I understand the psychology behind it. I understand the neurology behind it. I understand even how to get around it eventually. But for most people, it's extremely tough. Because most people identify with, oh, I'm a Catholic, inverted commas, Novus Orco, fake Catholic. But they've been raised that way. Their parents were that way. And they think that that is the good, strong tradition. Same thing with the Protestants, same thing with the Muslims. I mean, the Muslims are literally believing in a religion that was created by, by satanic beings. Um, you know, it's even in their own writings, it is known that Muhammad was spoken to by a demon, essentially, in a cave. And that's when he came out and decided to invent Islam. Um, you know, Protestants, completely brainwashed from birth, that, you know, Catholics are the demon, the, the devil, they worship Mary, blah, blah, blah. So for you to change that, even based on facts, uh, is very difficult because people identify with that and they say, oh, but, but, but if that is true, then it means I've been a complete idiot all this time, I've been fooled all this time, I was a moron, I was lazy, I was stupid. Um, and so rather than face those realities, which may not even necessarily be true, maybe they weren't lazy or stupid, maybe they were just lied to really well. But until you face it, you can't, you can't, deal with it you know so that's essentially what the reason is now personally i also think that there are other reasons um, and when it comes to Anne barnhart the, the picture that i chose for this stream is reminiscent to me of the the scene in lord of the rings when there is um the elven princess that says oh you should take the ring because if i take the ring i will make everybody want to love me you know it's just full-on narcissism comes out now, uh, Anne Barnhart goes on about demonic narcissism and so on. And I, I like Anne Barnhart a lot. She's done a lot of good work. She's educated a lot of people. But she is completely 100% dead wrong about Ratzinger. And um, I think she's bought into it for so long now that she, she can't turn back. And it is an ego thing. I do think there is a power trip there. Because I listened to one of my recent podcasts where she's like, you know, if we were the only three people left in the world that said that Ratzinger's Pope, then we are still the Catholic Church. No, lady, you're not. Ratzinger is not Pope. And now she's, I don't, the, the, the cognitive dissonance is astonishing because she's, um, she's now trying to quote canon law as to why you can ignore Bergoglio because he wasn't really elected Pope, the election was invalid, and also even if it had been valid, if you don't believe that the Pope is the Pope, then if you have a duty not to listen to him, blah, blah, blah. And of course, she's quoting from the fake canon law of 1983. The only reason the canon law of 1983 was put together was to destroy the canon law of 1917. The canon law of 1917 is the most vetted document in the entire history of the human race. There is no other document like the canon law of the Catholic Church, the Pio Benedictine Code of Canon Law of 1917. In fact, I'm going to show it to you because I have it right here. There you go. This book, this uh, canonic law, there it is. Okay. Bye. It's on special at the moment. Uh, my most loyal henchman bought two copies, one for himself, one for the other guys, one of the other loyal henchmen. Um, that book is, th th that code of canon law is the most vetted document in the entire history of humanity, okay? They spent, uh, they started in 1910, I believe, 
or something like that. Or 19, no, actually, I think they started in 1904. Um, Pope Pius X died, I think, in 1914 or 1910, I can't remember. And Pope uh, Benedict XV carried on his work and was finished by 1917. In these years, there was a commission of 16 people which Pius X headed while he was alive. And these were all freaks of nature, full-on Catholic cardinals that knew everything there was to know about theology and about canon law. They compiled thousands of documents from 2,000 years of history using the archives of the Vatican and any other sources to make sure that not a single one of the laws in this canon law contradicted each other. And where they found any discrepancies, they cleared them up, they abrogated whatever laws, you know, or whatever rules were considered no longer applicable because of the coordination of all these documents. Now, that's not it. Okay, you think, oh, well, so they took a decade or more to put it together. Okay, maybe 10, 13 years. Okay, so that, 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 they did a pretty good job. No, no, it didn't end there. Cardinal Gasparri was the guy that was put in charge after it was published to go through any question that any cleric anywhere in the world had about any conflict or any suspected conflict of the new canon law with any aspect of theology or Catholic dogma. So he spent the next 20-30 years going through more thousands of documents. They spent something like, I, I believe, if I remember right, I'm doing this from memory, so it's, it's in the book anyway, it's in Reclaiming the Catholic Church. I think they looked at something like 14,000 documents to put together the canon law, and they looked at a lot more than that to, to, to make sure that it all fit. And from 1917 till 1982, because in 1983 they came out with a new one, this was and remained the absolute code of canon law of the Catholic Church. In that time, how many corrections did they have? One. It was a correction to part two of code 1099, and it was done by Pope Pius XII himself, and it was a minor correction. That's it. Okay? So this document spent, you know, was over a decade to put together, and then after it was put together, no one could argue with it. No one said anything. And now if you're saying, oh, well, but after 1958, they were the fake popes, so it doesn't matter, fine. So from 1917 to 1958, it had one correction. Let's ignore after the 1958, because then we know the fake popes came in. Well, you know, that's still 40 years. We still got 40, 41 years of no one can argue with it, okay? And no one can argue with it. So this was absolutely in force. This code of canon law was absolutely in force for the entire Catholic world when... Roncalli was fake elected Pope. How do we know that Roncalli was fake elected Pope? Well, because the FBI has since released freedom of information documents that prove that he was fake elected Pope because they had like spies inside the, the, the council. And uh, they basically everybody knows, and it was known before this anyways, that Giuseppe Siri was actually voted Pope. And Giuseppe Siri was told to resign. That's why in 1958, first they came out white smoke, then black smoke. Then it was like, what the hell is going on? This was a scandal back in the day because it was like never happened before. Giuseppe Siri was voted Pope. And then he was threatened that, no, you can't be Pope because if you become Pope, 
you being a hardline Catholic, and by the way, he was the guy that Pope Pius XII had selected to become the next pope, pretty much. And generally, when a pope says, this guy's going to be the next guy, that's what happens. And that is what happened. Twice, apparently. But by the third time, they had threatened that, look, if this guy becomes pope, we're going to have a lot of bishops in the Soviet world killed, in the East Bloc countries killed, because they won't accept the fact that you are so hardcore against communism. You know, the Catholic Church has always been against communism. So, um, that's, you know, the, the, the argument that Anne Barnhart is trying to make, that Bergoglio is an invalid pope, applies 100% to Roncalli, and it applies in three different ways, completely independent of each other, okay? First, the election was invalid. Wasn't valid. Why? Because Siri was elected pope, and they coerced Siri to not be pope with a threat or blackmail of violence to others. Not necessarily to him directly, but to other bishops. This, in canon law, clearly is stated, it invalidates the entire election. So Roncalli was invalidly elected. That's point number one. End of. Finish. Done. That's enough. Guess what? We've got two other reasons why it was completely invalid. Roncalli was a Freemason. You cannot be a Catholic and a Freemason. Because one is a Satanist, one is a Catholic. Left-hand path, Satanist. Right-hand path, God. Okay? Cannot be a Catholic and a fucking Satanist. Impossible. Second reason was invalidated. And third reason, he was a notorious, public, and pertinacious heretic. How do we know this? Because he approved before his death one of the two documents, Intermirifica, and one of the other 16 documents that came out in 1963. The very first two that came out in December of 1963. And... Um, Roncalli died, I think, in June or July, but he had by then already approved them. He had approved them in October of the previous year. So, he approved one of the 16 documents that absolutely contains direct heresy. Intermirifica doesn't. It was one of the two. The other one does. I forget the name now, but again, it's in the book. What does this mean? It means that he notoriously and publicly it's true that it only became notorious, public, and pertinacious after his death. But we as Catholics don't care about that. We don't differentiate between a dead heretic and a live heretic. And it's also why the reason many popes, over 40 popes before the current era of, of, of antipopes, many fake popes were declared antipopes long after their death. Because with hindsight, they could figure out, oh, this guy actually was a heretic. And this is exactly the case. So there are three completely independent reasons why Roncalli was absolutely not a pope. Many more reasons than what you've got for Bergoglio. Okay? If you assume that Ratzinger and everything else was even valid, which it isn't. Because again, Vatican II documents have all got heresy in it. 15 of the 16 have got direct heresy. And not one heresy per document. Multiple heresies per document. Okay? And I track at least one or two for every document. Every one of this, the 15 documents that have heresy in my book, I detail it. So that nobody has ever done this, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware. Uh, people have done it with about seven or eight documents. No one has done it with all 15. I'm the first. So you now have absolute certainty that these guys taught direct heresy. Now, if you teach direct heresy publicly, notoriously, and pertinaciously, which 
they are all doing because, again, there is no document on earth that can be considered more public and notorious than documents published by the Vatican. Why? Because by default, the documents published by the Vatican are supposed to be for the entire world. They're supposed to be for every soul on earth. So, they are as public, notorious, and pertinacious as it gets. And that's why they're completely heretic. And as per Code 188, Part 4 of this book, they vacate their office ipso facto. That's Latin for by the fact itself. And spelt out in black and white in Latin and in every other language you get to translate it into, there is required a um, proclamation by no one. The office is vacated by the law itself. No one needs say a damn thing. There is no higher court to appeal to. There is no judgment that needs to be said. There is no official statement that needs to be said. The office is vacated. Finished and end of. And again, there are multiple proofs of this. First of all, canon law itself. It's very clear. It's very clear. It states it very clearly. Somebody that does this vacates their office immediately and with no proclamation required by anybody. It's there in black and white. But then some people are trying to use, you know, like people like John Salter, the Freemasons. You know, John Salter is a Freemason who pretends to be a Catholic. He's a Freemason. He's an admitted Freemason. And they try and say, oh, but Canon 2394 says blah, 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 blah. No, no. Because each of the laws, each of the rules in the Canon law, there are different levels and different um, orders, let's say, of, um, of laws. There are some laws that are... Um, would you call it official, some laws that are unofficial, some laws that are for the church, some laws that are divine, some laws that are worldly, and so on. Now, Canon 188 Part 4 is unique in that it is the one of the, as far as I can tell, and I've, I've read through that document a couple of times, uh, they, it, it may apply to one, of the, one or two of the other items that fall under Canon 188. Canon 188 covers eight different points. Part 4 is the one that, called, that discusses uh, defection of the faith. But certainly, Canon 188 Part 4 is absolutely almost unique, barring maybe one or two of the other uh, canon laws, in that it is does not fall under any of the other rules of having to have a second check, having to have a declaration, having to have a superior confirm the ruling and so on, having a judge to pass the sentence, it, none of these things apply to Canon 188 Part 4. And that is very obvious if you read through the document and you see all the relations and all the, the, the commentaries and all the uh, links to Canon 188 Part 4. Furthermore, Canon 188 Part 4 was what many of the documents that were used to create Canon 188 Part 4. One of them is Cum Ex Apostolato Feature, which was written by, I think it was Pope Paul the fifth or the fourth, I can't remember, something like in the 1500s, and it is absolutely clear that anybody who behaves like any of these guys is her heretic, must be treated like one, and anyone who does not treat them like a heretic and receives them instead as legitimate and or continues to teach their heresy themselves become excommunicated ipso facto and therefore also fall foul of Canon 188 Part 4. So, 
for that reason, Anne Barnhart has got no leg to stand on. But the question was, did I speak to her directly and why is she doing this? So did I speak to her directly? I have received one response from Anne Barnhart to an email I sent her years ago. So I know she gets my emails. And after that, I've written to her again on this matter several times, privately first uh, for quite a while. And uh, there was never any response. I also sent it to her co-host, Super Nerd. So they definitely know I exist. And I also know that she knows I exist because she made um, a blog post, a reference where I think she was slagging off Vox mostly in her blog post, but she put in something in there that was kind of like, I think aimed at me, but I don't know, it was very passive aggressive, which whatever, she's a girl, it's fine. Now, like I said, Anne Barnhart does a lot of good work. I really like the lady. I, I do think she's, she's doing quite a lot of good, but unfortunately, she's leading millions down the garden path, the wrong path. And again, it's because like, well, but, 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 but. And now she stated, she has stated herself that if Ratzinger dies tomorrow, then she would become immediately a set of Acantis because that's the only logical position to have. Well, I got bad news for Anne. She better start taking her tequila shots because that's exactly the position that she's in now. That is the position that you're already in. If Ratzinger dies and she becomes a set of Acantis, you know what her reason for saying that that's completely different from people like myself who are 1958 set of And the reason is because, well, you know, if Ratzinger dies and, and, and well, you know, I'll be a set of and he, maybe he's been dead for 45 minutes. That's very different from having been, you know, without a Pope for 62 years. Really? Why? Tell you what, Anne, show me anywhere in canon law where it says that an interregnum has a limit. Show me anywhere in canon law or common sense or logic that tells you that, well, no, uh, you can only be without the Pope for X amount of time. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. There is no limit, because if you don't have a Pope, you don't have a Pope. Now, people like Jay Dyer, or Vijay Dreyer, as I call him, Go and say, well, but it, it said you have to have a Pope in perpetuity. Yes, and these are people that do not understand English. You know, of course, J. Vijay Dreyer is, uh, you know, is an American or whatever. So English is only his fourth language, you know, uh, and I think he's from the South. So I think moonshine, burping, uh, eructations and uh, probably farting is uh, his first three languages. And so he doesn't understand the word perpetuity. All that perpetuity means is that one after another. Now, does it mean that you have no gaps in between? Clearly, it cannot mean that because you have a gap in between every time a Pope dies. Some of these gaps have lasted for years previously to this situation. So, no, uh, it just means that eventually you will have another Pope. Or not, because guess what? Catholicism allows for that option too. Either at some point, through to supernatural intervention, whatever, everybody waking up at once after all the stupid zombies die thanks to the COVID fake vaccine. You know, once all those idiots that take it die off, I, the IQ will jump up quite a bit. So maybe we'll have a, you know, the thousand years of glorious Catholicism throughout the land. And therefore, possibly a new Pope. That's possible. Or supernatural intervention. That's possible. Or no, there isn't going to be a new Pope because we are in the end times. 
any one of these possibilities is possible. Any one of these possibilities fulfills Catholic dogma and Catholic requirements 100%. So nothing to worry about right now, as far as I'm concerned. Of course, it's a perilous state of affairs that we're in, but this is also not new. The Arian heresy only had something like 1 to maximum 3% of the bishops touting the truth. You know, 97 to 99% of all the bishops throughout the known world of Catholicism were basically heretics. And we've recovered from that. So, you know, miracles do happen. The fact that the Catholic Church still exists is a testament to the fact that it is absolutely supernaturally protected. That is why it's still here. There is no other institution that has lasted as long as the Catholic Church. Simply, there isn't one. Okay? And you can say, oh, but the Orthodox... And no, the Orthodox are now squabbling among themselves. They've now got the Ukrainian branch of the Orthodox, the Russian branch. You know, the Catholicism was infiltrated by Satanists, Freemasons, because we are the one true Church. Uh, Orthodoxy is not the one true Church. They're schismatics, and as such, nowhere near as big a threat. They weren't infiltrated by Freemasons. They were just infiltrated by the old usual stuff. You know, money, politics, and power. Uh, governments, you know, Russian government, uh, Greek governments, they, they infiltrated those guys. So that's that's what it is. Um, so as to why Barnhart is this way, I say there are, again, multiple reasons. One is that I, she had very, apparently, very bad run-ins with uh, supposedly set of vacantists who called her a whore and all sorts of other disgusting things. And um, no doubt that left a bad taste in her mouth. I think, um, you know, Anne is the kind of person that holds a grudge. Quite, I, I, I have nothing against that. I think, you know, you should hold a grudge against uh, vicious heretic scumbags or whatever. Um, but maybe she got a bad batch of Sedevacantis. Maybe she got like those trailer park Pope type Sedevacantis. Uh, I cannot imagine any one of the people that I know as, as Sedevacantis behaving that way. Um, I would say I'm the rudest, crudest, roughest of the bunch and that I know, uh, that I've met personally, certainly of all the priests that I've met, certainly of all the congregants that I've met. Uh, that's not to say that the other guys are no toasts, but they are far more polite than I am. They're far more, um, you know, just polite gentlemen and, and, and ladies. So I I struggle to think that the people that behave that way towards a worse set of vacantes, but anything is possible. Um, so that definitely left a bad taste in her mouth. And then um, I think she's just, because of that, got a bit of cognitive dissonance. I think there's another element, which is she would feel like she's betraying the church and she's betraying our Lord if she went to the Vacantis, because then that would mean, oh, a whole bunch of churches are fake churches. And, you know, at the end of the day, she's still a woman, so she still uh, reacts emotionally to things like how many, how many people know, think, or care about something. You know, numbers affect women. You know, they, they, they affect women a lot more than men. It's like a woman knows, oh, that guy is, is a pig. He's slept with a hundred women, but, but he's kind of sexy, you know. <laughs> They'll find a guy that slept with a hundred women a lot more attractive than a guy who slept with no women at all. You know, they, they two different guys, two identical guys. One is 35. They're both, they're both 35. They both look the same. But one's a complete virgin and the other one's 
banged everything that moved. Nine women out of ten will go for the guy that's banged everything that moved. Even though they'll, they'll say they wouldn't, they say this, they say that, but that's just how it works. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, you know, they go with the crowd. A very unkind thing that I read in uh, some forum or whatever, where like people are saying, oh, but women are this and women are that. And, oh, women are just not good enough to be wives nowadays. And, every, you know, there were a bunch of men whining, complaining about women. And one guy wrote back, will you all you wimps stop whining about women? Hurt animals do not have agency. <laughs> you know, and it was kind of a blunt way of putting it, but there's some truth to it. So that's the second reason. And the third reason, I think she's been so successful with her, let's say, marketing for Ratsy the Nazi, that, um, you know, she's got a bit of an ego trip out of it. And uh, that's unfortunate because uh, she is, I think, otherwise pretty blemish free. Uh, and then, you know, she, she convinces people to do all these novenas, praying for the, for the, that Pope Ratzinger becomes Pope again, and, and that, uh, you know, fake Pope Francis repents. You, you know, that's like praying that the sun becomes the moon. You know, God has set certain things up the right way, and, you know, you can pray that an Eskimo that has never heard of Jesus Christ becomes Pope too. You're going to keep praying that shit a long time. It ain't ever going to happen. Do you know why? Because that's not how it works. If you're going to pray for something, you're going to pray for something that can actually happen, however miraculous, however mysterious. Now, you say, well, but couldn't Ratzinger like, and, and possibly Francis totally repent of their sins and then say, you, you know, I was a Satanist. I sacrificed children to Baal or whatever they did. And, and I wouldn't put any of that past them, by the way. I've been a complete sodomite all my life, but neither painter now I truly believe that I, you know, the one true church is correct and I want to be the Pope. Guess what? You can't. Archbishop Vigano, case in point. Let's say he has repented. Let's say he knows now the truth. He's known since the beginning because Archbishop Vigano has a degree in theology um, in canon law. He's actually got a doctorate in canon law. Canon law of 1917. So that guy knows what's been going on for the last 50, 60 years. He just kept quiet because he's a coward. And now he's thinking to speaking out. And people are saying, oh, he's so brave. No, he's not brave. He's a cowardly, cowardly man. After 50 years of keeping his peace, when he doesn't have much left to lose, he's like thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be the new hero. Okay. Guess what? Canon law. It's a great book. Canon law. Ex apostolate officio. A complete heretic like that, that repents, can only spend the rest of his life in penance in a monastery, teaching no one, teaching nothing to anyone. Are we clear? So, no. Ratzinger, Francis Bergoglio, all those guys, Bergoglio is not Francis. It's a, it's a shame to... to, to St. Francis of Assisi, that, that scumbag Satanist, pedophile monger, took, uh, took that name. So, no, Razzi the Nazi, Bergoglio, they are not even Catholic. Forget that they can be Pope, forget that they can be any kind of priest. They cannot. Any novus orco priest that repents should spend the rest of his days in a monastery doing penance for his sins, 
of idiocy, stupidity, or complete choice mortal sin of being a Satanist. Are we clear? It's not Father Vigano. Is fake Archbishop Vigano. So, let me see now whether my uh, most loyal, oh, 29, 30 of you, wow. Let's see, uh, okay, surprise stream, great guests, oh, thank you very much, Gabriel. Dilo says that I'm a wealth of knowledge, already have so many answers. <laughs> okay, good. Big fish, is it Mel Gibson? Oh, <laughs> that would be a really big fish. If you guys can get Mel Gibson here, oh man, that, that would be an eight hour stream if you can afford the time. Um, a big recovering gay fish. Can the Kurgan cover Milo to convert Milo to true Catholicism? Well, if you got Milo's ear, um, certainly, yeah, My Milo would be a very, very good guest to have. I, um, I'd love speaking to Milo. I haven't seen him since 2014 or whatever it was. That I, I met him in Paris very briefly. Um, you know, it was one of those hit and run meetings. But uh, <laughs> no, he's, I, I like Milo a lot. Uh, David Perkins says that Tolkien was a World War One vet, so not surprising. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, brilliant film, 1917. If you haven't seen 1917, check that film out. Oh, Unicorn Cupcake. We have one of the uh, we have one of the supreme gammas here that says, "Greetings, most supreme Dark Lord." <laughs> oh, you, you, you know, you're you're getting your your Nazi overlords mixed up there, Unicorn Cupcake. I expect better from you. Uh, Ryan O'Gare, uh, Ryan O'Bear, hello, nice to see you. Oh, Dances with Logo says, so is she not a gatekeeper? No, I don't believe that, well, she is, but not, I don't believe she's doing it intentionally. I honestly believe that if Anne Barnhart could be shown the truth in a way that she can digest it, she would follow the truth. Um, I truly believe that uh, her problem is one of uh, rhetoric having beaten out dialectic in her own head um, and a little bit of ego, uh, you know, but I, I do believe she's got good intentions. But you know what well, that paves the road to, right? Well, if you're like me and you don't have any good intentions at all, you don't, you don't get confused. <laughs> you, know? you know exactly where you're going. Uh, it's just ego makes sense. She's strong in her convictions. Yeah, I'll say one thing. You know, I'm strong in my convictions too. Being strong in your convictions doesn't mean that necessarily. It doesn't necessarily follow that just because you're really sure about something that it's ego. Now, in my particular case, I certainly give that vibe off. And as I spoke to, as I said in the interview with uh, Professor Rachel Fulton Brown the other day. You know, I go completely the other way. When somebody accuses me of being an arrogant pig who's full of himself and doesn't know anything, I'm like, that's right, because I'm better than you, bitch. You know, and uh, but that's not really the case. The thing is, I've had a lot, you know, my 51 years on earth, most of the time when people tell me, you should, they haven't got a fucking clue what they're talking about. And when people tell me, you should, on a topic that I actually spent some years looking into, 99.99999% of the time, they're not just wrong, they're completely fucking wrong. That does not mean to say that the 0.00001% hasn't happened, 
or can happen. You know, it, it absolutely can happen. And it has happened to me in the past. So it's not that I'm unwilling to hear anything to say. It's that I'm unwilling to hear the stupid shit that I've already heard a thousand times said. But you can put anyone in. You know, I'll, if Anne Barnhart came on live, I'd say, right, Anne, here are the rules. I believe you can follow the rules because you're a good Catholic. You know, she's trying to be a good Catholic, as am I trying to be a good Catholic. Here are the rules. I'm going to make a point. You debate my point. If you disagree, you tell me why you disagree. Then we debate your point. I, I would love to have a conversation with Anne Barnhart about this, but she's not going to have one with me for a very simple reason. And it, that goes to ego again, because it has nothing to do with whether she thinks I'm right or not. Firstly, she I don't believe she has the ability to defend her position against somebody like me. She has the ability to defend her position to some milk toast guy that doesn't really know his stuff. She won't be able to defend her position to me. Secondly, um, anything that she gives a voice to will spread like wildfire. And she's scared that like, oh, I don't want to give these set of accountants any more ground because they're, they're just going to you know, take the rug out from under my feet. So in her case, um, I do believe that her strong convictions are at least partly, let's say at least partly based in ego, which is quite different from the reason that I have my strong convictions for most most part. That's his log says she's so smart she needs to hear this. It makes sense. Is she influenced by gatekeepers? I don't know. No, um, I doubt it. I think she probably has some very good friendships with some uh, Norco priests, uh, inverted commas, that, you know, there are some people that probably went through seminaries and tried to, like, just survive and then are telling themselves, no, but I'm a real priest, you know. Those guys are confused. As far as I'm concerned, canonically, they're not Catholic priests. Um, maybe they have good intentions. Maybe they're just really dumb and only figured out Vatican II stuff after they were fake ordained by fake priests and fake bishops. But whatever, to me, those guys fall under the definition of criminally incompetent. You know, there is such a thing in law that um, you could kill somebody because you want to kill them. That's murder, murder one or two or whatever. Or you could kill somebody because you're criminally incompetent. That is, you, you know, whatever, you're a bus driver, but you have no idea how to drive a bus and you just ride on the pavement and you're running people over and you don't know how to stop the bus. Now, you didn't have the intent to kill people, but you're so bad at your job. You're so bad at what you're supposed to be doing that it becomes criminal. Um, and, you know, if you are a priest and you don't know about Vatican II and you don't know about the Code of Canada of 1917, you are criminally incompetent, uh, except it's kind of worse than mere physical murder because you're sending souls to hell. So, absolutely criminally incompetent. So, yeah. Uh, Jean Christophe says, Schoenen Abend, everybody. I have no idea what that is. Uh, Ryan Aubert says, ha, ha, how dare you? Uh, I don't know, I've dared a lot by the time I'm reading here. Ratzi Benazzi. Ratzinger was one of the architects of Vatican II. Yeah, I've been saying that for a long time. Uh, he wore a suit to the so-called council. Yeah, there you go. You know, Ratzi Benazzi. By the way, uh, not wearing um, not wearing clerical habit. 
is um, is one of the reasons is, is actually part of Canon 188 if I remember right not wearing clerical habit will get you to be um, to lose your office without further ado I just want to double check it because I don't want to lie to you guys and I'm doing it from memory but I believe it's one of them let's see Canon 188 is on the right if I remember right yeah there it is Canon 188 uh, with the useful time accepts another public to defect contracts marriage against the name. there you go Canon 188 part 7 disposes of ecclesiastical habit on his own authority and without just cause unless having been warned by the ordinary he resumes wearing it within a month of having received the warning so maybe he managed to um, you know wear clothes the, the clerical garb again after uh, one month or whatever but just one more reason not to trust Razzi the Nazi or any of the other fake popes all right I think from 30 it's down to 22 you guys have got the gist of it uh, I'll give you oof, it was supposed to be 10 minutes I'm 49 minutes in one minute for any questions that any of you have otherwise oh, we will call it a day or a night rather thank you all for being here and uh, being this uh, you know quick off the mark really because it was very impromptu um, and it looks like that's it no more questions last 30 seconds if you got any questions shoot it now or hold your peace oh let me just quickly uh, oh there was another question by margaret kelly that says any chance on doing a breakdown on traditions that have been lost in the novice oracle church ember days are an example that immediately comes to mind it's too long a list for me to even begin to look at uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing i suggest you go and read the uh, most uh, what's it called most holy family monastery something like that the demon brothers anyway um, so uh, you know it's, uh, they've done it they've done a lot on that on how the the new mass was changed and what was taken out and so on so plenty plenty of things the whole liturgical year has been basically just ridden over roughshod by a bunch of gay people who should be tarred feathered and burnt at the stake you know in that order but uh, there you go all right uh it's 10 minutes uh, to an hour so i am now calling it an evening thank you all very much i uh, appreciate you guys and yeah let's hope that uh, i get a couple of big fishes any of you that know mal gibson or milo you know give them a ring <laughs> tell them this kurgan guys good interviewer <laughs> um, I don't know if I can get those type of people up here I, especially since uh, we have determined with absolute certainty that I am actually I am shadow banned already by YouTube I, I haven't had uh, new subscribers for over a year they used to be like 50 60 a day but they're trying to keep me below the 2000 mark for some reason but it's it's fine whatever um, when they eventually kick me off I'll just put them on BitChute and unlike certain people that are not bitter i won't complain about it <laughs> okay all right good night all thank you very much